Here we go. Rejecting the screen, the going ISO edition, as we do every Thursday, the long form interview. Noah Kozlov, Adam Stanko this week, joined by Hall of Fame basketball journalist Peter Vesey, the New York Daily News, USA Today, New York Post, TNT, NBC. He was the first specialized sports columnist at the Post when he was an NBA columnist back in 1978. He had influence unlike anyone before him and maybe anyone since on the sport. He invented the the buzz of the transaction, all the drama that we all crave off the court. Peter brought that to his columns. Let me interrupt you. I mean, you know, you didn't mention NBA TV. That's where I met you. Well, that's true. And NBA TV. <laughs> being, let's start with being on the set. Being on the set on Inside the NBA on TNT for Charles Barkley's debut. What was that like? Yeah, what was it like? Well, first of all, you know, we, we had a, uh, a love-hate, mostly hate relationship for most of his career. But there were, there were times that we, were, <clears throat> we would hang out. Uh, he, loved, he lived in Phoenix. I loved Phoenix and go there often. Anyway, USA Today, I'm writing for that, and, um, and I would kill him in USA Today. And then the, uh, the waiter in the morning would bring on my family, you know, breakfast and stuff, and uh, they'd bring me the paper, the Phoenix paper, and the waiter would say, well, okay, he got you today in Phoenix <laughs> <laughs> and he knocked me in the Phoenix page. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. But, uh, you know, who who knew it, really? Any, only only people who read the Phoenix paper in USA Today. So so when he got the job at uh, TNT, I was already there. I was there at least two, maybe two and a half years or so, maybe three. And uh, we had the same agent. How about that? Whose, whose name I, I can't remember because I had so many agents. Um, <laughs> I had, yeah. Um, I used to, the people who had NBC used to tell my agent, you know, I hope you got a good deal with this guy because he's he going to keep his agent too long. <laughs> but nobody could really help me. So um, I mean, I, I, mean I'm, I know I'm tangenting him, but that's what I do. But I, I had David Falk as an agent at one time, and I was trying to renegotiate with NBC. And uh, he tried for a couple of weeks and, and then he, you know, he, he, he came to me and he said, ah, he said, it's impossible. I can't do it. He says, you know, you realize that you're, I'm only as good as my talent that I'm representing. I, I thought maybe, you know, because you represented Jordan, you might be able to do something for me, but I get it. So Barkley. Wait, he, Barkley wait hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. He, hold on a second. We'll get Bar- back to Barkley in a moment. He couldn't leverage, he couldn't leverage his Jordan relationship to get you a better deal at NBC. No, no. You know, Dick Ebersole was the boss. Um, uh, every contract he screwed me. Everyone. The first contract, the first contract I had with NBC. Um, you know, I auditioned fifty people. Me and Bob Ferry, we we were picked. And uh, my agent went in there, a guy named Richard Emery, who has practiced, who was who was who has won 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 a case in front of the Supreme Court. Okay, Richard Emery. And uh, and he goes in and, and Ebersol said something like uh, you know sixty thousand dollars, and you know we go wait are you crazy? Are you nuts? What are you talking about? You make twice that much with well at that time maybe not, but I, I was probably making a hundred with, with the post. And uh, he says, well you know take it or leave it. We'll get somebody else. <laughs> that was it. And that's the way he negotiated with me the whole time. And uh, what can I say? 
not not a big fan of them. So you'll you'll read a lot about that in the book that I'm not going to write. <laughs> oh, we actually want to ask you about that, but but so back to Barkley. The uh... All right. he came in and uh, again same agent, and uh, you know I wasn't I wasn't enthused about it because I know I know that I'm going to spend most of my time contradicting him. And that's exa- exactly what happened. And, you know, and I, I made, made a huge couple of huge mistakes. Um, the first the first time we were on together, uh, you know, we insulted each other back and forth. But it was, you know, it was, yeah, it was good natured, but it was the way we acted around each other for the most part. And um, and then it continued. And um you know, he, he just would, he would say stuff and I would have to say, man, that's, that's not what happened. I remember one, one in particular was he, he was harping about how the Knicks screwed Patrick Ewing. You know, they screwed him they had no, you know, business trading him. He was the franchise. And I tried to, tried to explain to him that Ewing demanded a trade, <laughs> you know, like, okay. Other than that, yeah, yeah, they, they traded him. But he demanded a trade. He would not accept the lesser role that Jeff Van Gundy wanted him to take. And, um, and, and you know, he was at the end of his career, too. He was, he was not that good anymore. So, and they, and they ended up screwing the franchise. Checkers, Dave Checkers screwed the franchise by trading him for contracts that lasted much longer than his would have. Trade him to Seattle for like you know four guys with with uh, multi multi year guarantees, and instead of keeping him for the year, not acquiescing to his demand, keeping him, and then at the end of the year they would have all that cap money. But no, you know they so so Barclays, you know, no, no, they screwed him. I couldn't. No, this is like everything. So stuff like that, you know, before he came on came on the scene, they had segments for me where. I would give, uh, you know, go around the league with stuff up to date and break news, you know, like, a, you know, a few minutes, Ernie and I would do it together. And uh, so now, now it became uh, all my, all my uh, effort would go into uh, all my time went into contradicting him, arguing with him. And so I, the mistakes I said, so I went to the boss who was not the guy who hired me, uh, but he was there then. And uh, I said, look, I would, I would appreciate if I didn't work with him anymore. You know, I said, I'm, I'm about substance and he'll never abuse substance. And, and, um, you know, we were on TBS and TNT at that time. So it was two different days. So you could have switched me to one. And basically, uh, that got me let go. (laughs) They said, really? You know, he didn't say anything to my face, but then I could see that I was being phased out. And, uh, I believe, I don't know if I lasted, I definitely lasted through my contract, but then, you know, they were so, um, uh, so ungracious that they, they alerted me. I wasn't going to be retained with a phone call that left on my answer machine. Um, yeah, so that's the way that went. So it probably, you know, I've never calculated it, but I was getting paid pretty well with them and it probably cost me about 10 million. But, but other than that, good move yeah you know the thing with charles is uh he he can dish it out absolutely cannot take it cannot take it so i would come back at him my other mistake was that this was even a bigger mistake probably is that i wrote about him in the post 
so I would kill him in the post besides working with him. And that, that was stupid. I didn't have to do that. That was just stupid. Mm. So that was, I'm sure that was part of the reason they said, this, this can't go on, you know? And meanwhile, you know, the producer, Kylie, who was still there, I believe doing the same job. Mm -hmm. uh, he's in, he's in my ear saying, are you going to let him get away with that? And I'm sure he's in Barclays here saying exactly the same thing. He was inciting us constantly, uh -huh. constantly. And, and then at the end, you know, hands off, what, you know, well, you can't do that. Um, you know, hypocrisy <laughs> all over the place. And so that's, that's the story. One of Charles's contemporaries, Larry Bird, I've heard you say that he is one of, if not your favorite person to interview. And that when you spoke to him, he always kept things on the record and, and would, would speak out. What was your relationship like with, with Bird and um, the man you gave the, the Larry Legend moniker? And, and, and just, you know, what were some of those conversations like? What did he reveal right. to you? It's not so much that he revealed anything that, uh, you know, I was like, man, let me, let me go home and write this. He would just tell me the truth about everything that happened in his life, you know, regarding, you know, why, why he left Indiana State, his relationship with Bob Knight, uh, relationship with um, Kent Benson, Quinn Buckner, you know, that team that went, went undefeated, how they treated him, how, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um and and uh, you know every not so much with the team i really wouldn't i really wouldn't try to get stuff out of him with the team we never really would go there um he is my he's my favorite he's my favorite player uh and i told him that to his face you know you are you know in the last few years i i met with him in indiana and um whenever i'm with him he tells me stuff that i not i have not read his books um, I don't, I don't write them obviously, and I don't read them, but I, I believe that every time I'm with him, for I don't care how long, he'll tell me stuff he's never told people before. And, um, and I told him at, at that meeting in Indiana, I was interviewing him for my book, make sure I had some stuff right, you know, and, you know, and I've read stuff that he, I thought was a revelation to me about his father, you know, who committed suicide. Mm -hmm. I read a long piece, a tremendously uh, investigative piece where, where, where two reporters did a magazine piece on him. I think it was in Indiana Magazine. And um, they went, they, over a period of time, they, you know, they went to French Lick, they spent time with him. And I don't know if you could look that up for your, for your own edification. I'm sure you can best piece I ever read on. And so in those, in those, in that piece, I, I read stuff that I thought he had just told me, but no, he had, he had told these guys because he, he doesn't hold back. And then the bottom line here, I mean, the, you know, the one liner is, is that when he got hired by the Pacers as the, as the president, and I went, I was with the post and I went to Indiana and had lunch with him and, and uh, Donnie Walsh. And I remember at that meal, I said to him, you know, it's just amazing. You know, all the time I've known you, you know, we, we used to go out a lot to eat um, when we were on the road together. And um, I said, you've never, you never said off the record once. And he looked at me, you know, he said, can I curse? Yes, you are. So he looked at me and he goes, what, why, why the fuck would I care what you write? I don't read your shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And that, 
and that friends is Larry Bird. <laughs> <laughs> so are you are you are you going to write a book? You know, I've written half of it already, but personal stuff has stopped me from doing it. I haven't opened a computer since June, but I I um I, I believe I could actually you know finish it within a month if I put my mind to it. But I uh, I just I'm glad I didn't write it right after I, I retired. It's seven years now. I'm glad because everything has changed the way I look at things. And and also I found out so much more about things that I was going to write about, which is amazing to me. But it's taught me a huge lesson that, you know, you really have to ask that next question to that next person and you, you never know what you're going to find out. And so, you know, now I, I, I've written chapters on, on um, Bird. I've written several. I mean, I, I write long chapters. I don't I, I go off on tangents like I'm doing with you. So I write. I've written at least two or three chapters, long ones on Bird. Um, I've written three already on Jordan. I'm on my fourth, but there are seven planned, seven. And um, you know, I wrote a, a Rucker chapter, a Rucker Park chapter, which is huge, long. They're all really long, and uh, but you know, a lot of stories in them. And um, you know, I got my NBC chapter pretty pretty well done. My USA, my uh, the post chapter. I don't know if the post chapter is really going to make it, but but uh, <laughs> so now, but now, but now I, but now I'm thinking that I have so many stories, just stories that if I said why why am I trying to do something on one person? Why don't I just do stories? And I know, mm-hmm. you know, no, uh, you know, in alphabetical odor maybe, but you know, right? It doesn't just, doesn't need structure. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Peter, you you mentioned just a few moments ago that that you're glad you didn't write it a few years ago because your perspective had sort of changed. What's what's changed? Um, just the fact, like I said, I found out more about situations. The whole thing was the the dream team, you know, how it was formed. Mm. People people to this day do not have it right. They do not have it right. And so I, in the book, I plan to get it right and um i i never would have known but i interviewed the right couple of people afterward which i never would have done i would have just i, I don't even know if i would have taken i don't even know if i would have written about it because i had i had written about it you know isaiah thomas did get screwed but you know let's let's you know and, and i see scotty pippen and jordan and magic and they all take credit for that and I must say, they're all full of shit. So, including Jordan, all of them. So they, they had nothing to do with it. So, you know, but I, but I do know what happened. And so that's, that's one of the things. And uh, so there will be revelation. There'll be a lot. I could do a chapter on revelations. Peter, if Jordan read your four chapters right now that you have written, four of the seven, what would you think of them? Oh, he'd like them. He'd like them. No, all true. You know, I'll tell you one thing. He, I, I ran into him in Toronto. I actually went up to Toronto for the All-Star game a few years ago, specifically to find him and ask him if I could interview him for the book because I'd already done Bird and um, I had done Stern. And I'd done a few others. And, and so I, um, 
<laughs> checking. I'm at the front desk and he walks by. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, hey, you know, and, and, and he stopped and we talked for about 10 minutes. And I said to him, you know, look, I'm doing this. Can I come? Can I can I interview you for the book? You know, and uh, he gave me his uh, the woman's name. I had to call and I um, and I did. And then she put me in touch with another woman. And uh, bottom line is he didn't want to do the interview. Hmm. So, um, not, not really, I don't really care that much. Uh, he actually gave me the end of my seventh chapter. That's the end of my seventh hmm. chapter. <laughs> so he stiffed me, but no, you know, I don't, no grudges, no, no problem. You know, one of my greatest columns ever, and he was angry about this in afterward, was going down to Orlando when he's playing baseball, and I told my editor, I said, let me take a shot. Let me just go down and watch him play baseball and see if I can get an interview with him. He had spoken to nobody since he retired. And I watched him play. I watched him play. I watched him stand in right field. <laughs> <laughs> and, then I, and then I watched him stand at the plate. And, and I was saying to myself, like, what the hell? How can an athlete like him, you know, this is the most boring shit going. And anyway, I, I went to the Marriott across from uh, where the Magic played, where all the teams stayed, waited for him when he came off the bus. And he goes, Man, what are you doing here? I said, oh, geez, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you want to talk? <laughs> and he said, he said, yeah, come on inside. So we went to the bar and uh, and had some drinks. And Nick Anderson was, was with us. And, um, oh, God, I never can remember this guy's name, but one of his best friends who played with him at the Bulls, and then he made him the GM of uh, Charlotte. Rod Higgins? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Rod Higgins. So he was there. So, and then, and then, uh, so he starts to tell me these stories, you know, about why he retired, this and that. And now, now we go up to his room, me and Nick Anderson doesn't come. It's me, Higgins and him. And he tells me, I mean, look it up. I believe I did two, two huge columns on it. And he, he goes through, you know, all the reasons why he quit and, uh, you know, his, his anger at the media, his anger at teammates is uh i'm not going to get into specifics you know but and i said to him when it was all over i did not take notes you know i'm trying to i'm trying to i'm pretty good at it just listening to the story it was like whoa man it's like what the hell i knew i had a hell of a story and uh, i said at the end i said look um you know this is all on the record he's like yeah yeah i said but you know saying it here and then seeing it in print it's going to be two different things i gave him a shot he goes, no, no, I'm fine. And uh, I went back and I'm not going to give you the rest of the story, but I, all I'll tell you is that he, you know, before it got to print, he tried to squash it. So, but I, you know, over the years, you know, after that, when he came back, I mean, we, we had our conversations, but we were never boys, as I point out in the book. I knew we were never boys. That was the only time I ever had a drink with him at a bar. I never went out to eat with him. And, um, but, but we had a great relationship. We really did. How did, how did you, how did you balance the quote unquote friendship with guys and reporting? 
Um, you know, it, it was always, you know, I mean, that could easily be a chapter in the book. Although, you know, I just don't know if people really care that much about me trying to figure it all out. But there was always that that divider that, you know, jumping the divider back and forth. It was, and it was left up to me by my editors, you know, what, what goes in, you know, what, go, what doesn't go in. If I, if I went out with the guys uh, at night, um, I always considered that off the record. I mean, I always felt like, really, I'm going to out myself. I don't, I don't think so. Um, so, most of that stuff was uh, was off the record, though. You know, I'd come back to it certain times in my career and say, "Boy, I, I was I was there for that party in Houston during the playoffs when she, which was written about afterward, and I was there. I was like, oh my god, shit that was going on at that party." But but um, and I was oh, okay. Hold on, hold on. What what party was that? Yeah, it was a, it was a party in uh, Houston uh, during the Sixers Rockets playoff series and junior serving invited me and you know all the players were there and uh, both teams and uh football players were there and i remember big daddy latin was there remember him with el paso they won the championship the won the uh, ncaa big daddy Latin. yeah so i didn't write about that and but but then i think i think it was like uh i don't know penthouse or Playboy or some some magazine wrote about that party. I was like, whoa. Um, but I, I remember, you know, Brian Brian Taylor said to my son recently at, at some some event we were at, and he said, yeah, he said, Brian, you know Brian Taylor, right? Played at the mm-hmm. Nets, and mm-hmm. Brian Brian was with the Nets at the time, and he'd say he said to my son, he said, yeah, we we'd all be out partying, you know, and every and all of a sudden we'd look and we say, wait a minute, she's a reporter. What the hell? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> so, so that was off the record. But um, well, other things, you know, and I've written about this. There were, there were times when I decided not to write stuff when I absolutely should have, and um, I gave I gave some people some breaks, and they screwed me on it. Um, and again, I don't mind going over it with you now because I've written about it. But Jeff Van Gundy. Um, when he was coaching the Knicks, um, I, it was, I believe, I believe it was the Toronto playoff series, but it could have been the Bulls. I just don't remember, but I knew, I knew, I thought I knew that he was thinking about quitting. And, uh, I went into his coaching room, you know, right across from the locker room, right before game one. And I told him, I said, this is what I've heard that you're thinking about, that you're going to quit. Are you thinking about it? You're going to quit. And he goes, that's true. And I said, okay. Um, and then he said, well, you know, but I would appreciate if you didn't write it at this point. He said, it'll kill our playoff series. You know, here I am admitting it uh, and we're playing a playoff series. And I said, okay. So, and I shouldn't have. Absolutely should not have. I didn't owe him anything. But during the summer, I called him twice, maybe three times, and asked him, have you decided whether you're going to quit? And he said, you know, the last conversation was, no, I'm not. I'm coming back. 
So he came back, and as you know, I don't know how many games. I never can remember that. What was it, 17 games into the season or 13 games into the season? He quit and didn't tell me about it. Now, that really pissed me off. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget it or forgive him because, you know, that, that little runt, you know, to do that to me, that, you know, so now I know exactly what kind of guy he is. And I always, I always, I was amazed that, you know, any, any time people, you know, the Knicks need a coach, they hey, bring Van Gundy in. Oh, really? He quit in the beginning of the season. You know, Layden was the general manager. I don't think they spoke. They might not have spoke ever again after that. You know, Layden says he, you know, ruined their season. So, so he told me not to write because it would ruin the playoffs, but then he quit and ruined the season. Okay, so I just came up with that right now, thinking about it. That's another thing. So if I write about that, I would not have come up with that if I had written the book. I wouldn't. So the bottom line was, yeah, he did exactly what he didn't want me to do. Who'd he tell? Holy shit. (laughs) Who did, Peter, who did he end up telling? He didn't give it to anybody. Hmm. No, he didn't tell anybody. That was the whole thing. You know, he went he went for a walk to the uh, to the nearby. You know, they were at the practice site. He went for a walk to the hot dog stand or something. Decided to quit. But meanwhile, he he he'd been thinking about this for you know since since April the year before. And told you and, to keep uh, quiet. No, he didn't tell me. He asked me, but I you know so that was that was a huge mistake. And, my, and I told my editor. I did. I told him what I did. He was furious, rightfully so. But again, my editors, until my last one at the Post, they really trusted me, whether I was in, you know, USA Today or, or the Post or, or NBC or TNT. If I had stories, they really trusted me that they were correct. And, and uh, 99% of the time, they were correct. Um, everybody loves to talk about any story that's written. They love to talk about the one I got wrong. And... Um, and why did I get that wrong? Do you know the one I'm talking about, Noah? I do not. It, it had to do with uh, Phil Jackson being interviewed by Checkets while, mm. while, Van Gundy, while Van Gundy was the coach. And um, again, I'm, I can't give you the whole story because it's, it's an unbelievable story. But the bottom line of, of our story here is that um, the Times wrote that they, that they met and I called Checkets and asked him if it was true. And he said, absolutely not. And we went on NBC saying, my sources say it's not correct. The story's not correct. By halftime, Jim Gray had gotten a source, probably uh, Phil Jackson's agent, uh, Musburger, and uh, confirmed that it was correct. And so, you know, embarrassed the shit out of me. And... Uh, hear my own network is contradicting what I wrote, what I said on the air. And so I, I, uh, called Checkets the next morning and, you know, and cursed him out. And he told me that, uh, he was going to, he was going to admit that he lied. He's going to go have a press conference and he's going to admit that he lied. And I'm telling him, I say, Dave, fuck you. I said, I don't, I, I don't want you to tell him the truth. <laughs> I want you to keep admitting, uh, denying it. But but he said, he said, well, I'll, you know, I'll call Ebersol and tell him that uh, what happened. I said, I already told Ebersol who told me. I mean, you have to tell your boss in those kind of situations. If he asks, well, who's your source? I said, well, check it. Oh, okay. 
I said, he already knows. I said, what about the millions of people who heard me say that it was not true? What are you going to do for me with them? (laughs) (laughs) So that's when I coined the phrase, coined the uh, nickname, the uh, Mormon Tabernacle Liar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we were never never too tight after that. (laughs) I'd imagine. It only takes once, and that was a big one. But, you know, again... Every reporter I've ever spoken to, they want to talk about that one, and they don't even know the whole story, you know, which I will tell in the book, which is which which makes it even more unbelievable that he would lie to me. But you know, instead of talking about, I remember I did a story with I don't know what some big some big feature that uh, they did in the last few years, and a guy you know harping on this this one story, and then he says to me. Uh, well, what, what are some of your big stories that you did break? I said, wait a minute. You know the, the one I didn't break, but you're, you're going to ask me to tell you what the stories are that I did break? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, <laughs> one, one huge story to that, to that end is, is you know, the, the passing of, of your friend, Drazen Petrovich. How did you, you jump to... from that? How, how did you jump to Drazen Petrovich? I want to know the... Uh... Well, I'm just... <laughs> Because you were talking about <laughs> stories that you broke, and and I know that you've mentioned oh, oh, before. Okay. Oh, okay, I, all right. Okay, I, 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 <laughs> okay. I know that you've yeah, mentioned before. It was a big I, story. Yeah. yeah, 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 and I know that you mentioned before, though, also a story that I think that you've talked about that people that people don't bring up that that you mentioned that there's all this talk about what would have happened with Drazen with the Nets, and you have said that. Uh, Drazen told you that he wasn't even going to come back and play ball in the in the states. Yeah, well, look again. If you look at the uh, the tribute I wrote on on Drazen, I I don't know. I, I I did some in the post, but then on Patreon I did a I'm pretty sure it was Patreon. I did a huge yeah Patreon. This pet a year or so ago, I did a huge piece, expanded piece on on that whole situation. But I'm not the only one that said that. His agent Warren Legary said that never changed never changed his uh, his his uh, position on it. He was not coming back. Willis Reed was was going to be sent over there, or he was going there. He was there to try to talk him to come back. Uh, Chris Dudley, who went went to his funeral, he he says he wasn't coming back. Um, you know, there were so many aspects of that. Yeah, that, that you know, people don't know. You know, I say broke the story. The story I broke was his death. <laughs> USA Today, you know, front page of USA Today, we had him dying before anybody else. Pretty big story. And, and, um, and, then, the, and then the playoffs, the finals are about to begin. And I wrote a column on Drazen. Um, cause he and I were, were pretty good friends and, uh, you know, friends, we, we, you know, we, we had a nice, rela- we were, we had a great relationship. I was there when he was traded in Portland, you know, in those days I traveled all over. I happened to be in the locker room when he was given word that he was traded to the Nets and he was crying. So, so we go back to that and, and, uh, he wasn't coming back. And, uh, and then I wrote this column and the the editor in USA Today, they every writer had his own editor. And I wasn't hired by that editor. I was hired by the sports editor. And um, 
but he was in charge of your copy and he could he could make decisions that you know you could like or you could dislike and he told me that it was the opening of the finals and he he was not going to accept the Drazen piece he wanted a story on the finals and I said it's not happening you can either print the story on Drazen I'm not giving you another column that's it you know I was absolutely out of my <clears throat> mind furious and uh he didn't he didn't print the column and when the when the when the playoffs were over the finals were over I went into the sports editor and the head of the head of USA today and uh I asked to be released from my contract I that was my third year there I had a five year deal and um they said okay and uh and I left but I gave up I gave up uh, about thirty thousand dollars in stock options, which you had to be there for five to get the whole fifty. And um, so I gave that up, and and I and then I signed soon after with the Post. I went back to the Post. But um, yeah, and then so I wound up doing that Drosby column for the Post when he they retired his number, and his family came into into New, into New Jersey, and uh, I wrote it. And then I expanded, like I said, in Patreon. I really made it big. And um, that's one thing I would really... Oh, and I also found out an awful lot about him dying, too, that I never knew. You know, that there was another woman in the car. You know, his girlfriend was driving. She was the one that had the accident. He was sitting there, the passenger seat. So a woman in the back lived. Never knew there was another person. And then, you know, I read, I read up on it and, you know, and years later, you know, she, she survived and, you know, really didn't remember anything except she was in huge bad shape and, and she had a reunion with Drazen's mother. Mm. Unbelievable. Mm. Those kind of, those kind of things. Like what? Like who, you know, it's called advancing the story. So somebody else advanced that story. And I was like, whoa. That has to go in the column, and it did. It went in the column. It's like, wow, that was unbelievable. You know, yeah. I mean, there's no easy trans. There's no easy transition here. But um, let me just stop. It's yeah. exactly right. Those people on TV that go from death to like, <laughs> you know, okay, we jump from this to uh, yeah, and then you know, it was, a, it was an event today yeah. in the Brooklyn that was like, what the hell? <laughs> Can't you just go to commercial? Yeah. You know. There, there are bunny rabbits in Brooklyn today, and uh, yeah, it's um, where we go to commercial, Noah. It's where we exactly. Go to- <laughs> you, you earlier you said that you had a love hate relationship with a lot of guys. You ever come close to getting in a, a physical fight with any player? <laughs> well, that's gonna be a whole chapter. That's that's absolutely a whole chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of times. And so never did, never did, but came, came very close a few times, more than a few times. Uh, Spencer Haywood chasing me down the, uh, the hallway at the garden, you know, definitely looking to kill me. And, you know, I'm, Why? I'm back. Oh, I, well, I nicknamed him Driftwood and Deadwood and, I knew, I knew, I thought I knew because again, I was hanging out in a bar that he was hanging out in and uh, 
the owner of the bar was selling him stuff. And so I, I, you know, I, I would have never written then, but, you know, since, since it's obvious what, what he was all about, but uh, he was, he was doing drugs. And so, you know, he, he wasn't giving the Knicks the best performance. And uh, so I was killing him. So he came after me, but uh, you know, it's amazing too, that I remember the guards, the security guards like, got out of his way. <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> Nobody's gonna stop him from coming after me. Guy six nine. You're like, man, oh man, you know. I, I told when I did this uh, the piece on Sports Illustrated uh, about me and my brother, that guy who wrote wrote that piece. You know, I told him some stuff that I I hadn't told anybody, and uh, and I, I didn't realize that I should have. That guy was out to get me, big time, and just told half stories every story i told him was a half story but the, but this story one story i did tell him that he wrote and um when pat riley left new york you know everybody killed him and uh you know faxton is his uh you know his departure and uh um so you know it could have been me it could have been lupica it could have been anybody who faced him for the first time in Miami, you know, when he was at Miami and, you know, he was fuming still and, you know, he and I worked together at NBC the first year. Um, and so, you know, I knew him very, very well from the Lakers and, you know, had a real good relationship with him for a long time. So, but I wrote what I had to write, I felt, and he has since admitted he did it the wrong way. And, uh, but anyway, so here we are in Orlando after a game uh, and I'm going into the locker room and, uh, and he, he spots me and, uh, he's, he's, uh, very upset and, uh, he, he didn't, he never put his hands on me, but we kind of went to the side of the locker room and there was a big security guard there and uh, the PR guy was there and Riley wants to fight me. I mean, he wants, he wants to fight, me, you know, and, and I, you know, and I said, look, Pat, <laughs> I'm not backing up and I'm not, I'm not going to go away. I said, if, if you want to fight me, you know, let's fight, you know, let's go. And, you know, I'm very happy he didn't because I, I know I would have been the one that would have been in trouble. You know, they would have, everyone would have lied and said, I instigated it and, uh, you know, whatever. And so it never got to that, but it was close. It was close. It was very tense. <laughs> oh man! But there are there are there are about maybe ten instances like that. Uh, a couple of them are wild. Um, some of them, but that was pretty wild. <laughs> you, you've got a you've got a wild famous YouTube clip after ninety seven finals, Jazz lose. You get a chance to interview Carmelo. And you ask him, basically, if it's the low point of his career, which he had said a couple games ago that that was the low point. And you asked him if he let his team down and the city down. And it felt like a very tense interview. And my, and my question for you is just your feelings going into an interview like that, knowing that you want to ask tough questions, you knowing that, that there are tough questions to be asked, and still you got someone who just came off losing a finals. How do you approach that? with what's your mindset 
Yeah, guy, a guy who elbowed Isaiah Thomas in the face and opened up his you know, head for like 50 stitches or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy. But, um, you know, Carl, Carl was always a great interview. He would never not answer a question. And I knew this. I had interviewed him for features. And uh, even though, you know, we really didn't get along, I, I disliked him on many levels respected him on many other levels as a player but you know he was a dirty player and um so i knew i knew he's going to answer my questions i you know people have asked me i've talked about this a number of times in the last few years and like people say like what you know what were you trying to get hurt what were you trying to do and the first time that they showed it to me um i didn't even remember it you know it was like really okay so i did this interview I had no agenda. I was just going to ask him some tough questions and um, I didn't care how tough because I really didn't like him. So, <laughs> but I knew he was going to answer them. <laughs> so, so I, I wasn't, I didn't feel unsafe and I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong. And it really never, it never dawned on me that that came off the way it did. You know, my son would say to me, he said, wow, what were you, what were you thinking? I said, I was just doing my job, but I, I, uh, I had no mindset going in other than I knew he was going to answer my questions. I, you know, those questions, like to me, people today, for the most part, uh, they ask a question, guy gives an answer, they ask another question. They don't follow up. If there's a reason to follow up on a question, on an answer, could you please follow up? Nope. Because they have something in their minds that they're going to do. So and then, and then they go do it, and I, I, you know, I sit at home going, "Oh my God!" They'll ask the longest questions. Holy cat! And then finally, no, not they won't ask the question. They'll do a whole soliloquy, and then they'll finally get to a question. And I see the guy. I saw it last night. Who the hell was being interviewed? Uh, football. It was football? It was Brees, right? After, after the New Orleans game, that that girl asked him. Talk to him for you know a minute before asking the question. He's like, okay, all right, okay, all right. And he gave he gave you know tremendous answers afterward. Boy, he was so likable. Now I'm not a football guy, but again, so I get mad at that. You know, like just listen to the question and and play off of that, and uh, it's just not done, not done. In in the media today, there's there's so much attention on on Adrian Wojnarowski, Stephen A. Smith, the New York media. Who's who's doing it right? Well, I don't know, the New York media. Who who in the New York media is uh causing a fuss? You know, I it, there's there's nobody there's nobody in the New York media. Like it's not like before. It's a much more national subject now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can, you know, oh, you know, Fisdale this, Fisdale that, you know, management should be fired they shouldn't be fired you know whatever but that's not that's nothing i mean the national guys you know my son and i talked about this recently that uh and you know joseph you know you know him from back when mm-hmm. joseph yeah, by sure. the way is 30 31 now and uh wow he's, he's a stand-up comedian and he's doing great wow and he and he works for adam sandler he's done like five adam movies sandler. with adam sandler mm-hmm. so we were talking about this the other day, and he, it was his point that not only in sports, but in, in every podcast, it seems like people, the people who just go off 
say anything, no matter how absurd are the ones that are making the most money on the podcast and on TV. Those are the mm-hmm. people. And he's absolutely right. You know, he, he took it, of course, the whole entertainment field, but he's absolutely right. Now, Woj, Woj isn't that, that way. You know, he's, he's strictly a, a story-breaking guy. I mean, he, he can be tough. He can be very tough on, um, on people in a column, uh, but he'll never, ever, ever be tough on, on a source of his, which, you know, I, I just find despicable. And you know his sources because stories break and he just doesn't comment on it. Just that's it. Well, that's his slide. Or he'll pick on somebody and and not know the facts or go with people who are sources and then and then it'll come back the other way and uh, you know uh I'm I'm thinking specifically about Scalabrini and um that other hoople who uh who take the conversations with the Warriors, which in, in their room and uh and got fired for it because they caught him because the coaches caught him and then the next you know, a week later or days later he's out eating with the uh the owner's son <laughs> and then he's hired by by the celtics you know without ever calling mark jackson to ask him anyway so those two guys were were woge's big sources and they, and he killed he killed mark jackson Kill Mark Jackson for <laughs> wait a minute. The guy take the coaching conversation. Scalabrini was was insubordinate beyond belief, and later came back and admitted he was. Admitted he was. He was out of line. He did everything wrong. Woge is yet to correct himself on that, you know. So I have no respect for Woj at all. None at all. You know, he he can he can break stories that. Everybody in the world could break if they if they wanted to take care of uh, their sources the way he does. That's the way he does it. You know, you're my source. I'll take care of you. I'll recommend you for other jobs. I'll say how great you are. Never, never taking, never taking apart. And it's so easy to see who his sources are. I mean, the, the, the Rockets general manager Maury. I mean, God, they must they must be on the phone. You know three hours a day and the stuff the stuff that goes on with the rockets that nobody nobody writes about not anybody in houston you know certainly not the national guy like Woj. you know how harden how harden just runs that franchise runs it you know he he, he picks out the places to eat on off you know on on, on on days on the road and what to eat and when to go home Instead of going to the next city, when to go home so he can go out at night, you know, on, on you know, to clubs and stuff. <laughs> what Maury just lets him do whatever he wants to do. You know, why was McHale fired? Because of Harden. <laughs> you know, why, why was, why was uh, Chris, Chris Paul? Paul? Yeah, but Harden wanted him out because, because that guy was staying up to him in practice. So, I mean, on and on and on, I could give you a minute. And I'm not even covering the league. But I know what's going on there, and nobody covers it. No, they hate playing with them. <laughs> Teammates hate playing with them. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, man. So Darren Ehrman, by the way, Darren Ehrman. Yeah, Ehrman, oh, the Warriors God. coach. Then, you were you know, finally talking about. Finally, was with the Warriors. That little creep, you know, he was he was he was sucking up to Danny Ferry, who was the uh, you know interim general manager, thinking he was going to get the job. You know, trying to trying to get uh, Gentry fired. Just like he did, Mark, and um, and then when the new guy came in, you know, he got fired. But then somebody, I think this is what some did the Celtics hire him as a 
D league coach or something like he, he's a worm. I mean, that guy's a worm. I mean, I was with Mark before Mark's rookie year. I went out there and spent a week or so uh, hanging out with the Warriors. And that guy had come from the Warriors and he didn't know me from Shinola. And he's telling me intimate Rajan Rondo stories from the Celtics, which make Rondo look like an idiot. You know, he doesn't even know me. And that's the kind of guy he is. I said, I told Mark right away. Mark, what's that? It tells you something when someone does that. No, yeah. No, I said, Mark, you, you better, you better watch this guy, Mark, this, this guy. I mean, he's telling me he knows who I am, what I can, you know, and they were, they were good stories on Rajon Rondo, but it was like, you know, having to do with Ray Allen and the, the problems they had to get. What is he doing? What's he going to say about you, Mark? And then when, when he hired Scalabrini for that job, I tried to tell Mark, I said, you know, he, he was represented by the general manager, you know, of, of the Warriors when he was an agent. Right. And, I, and I said, Mark, I said, this guy is the biggest leak that I've been around in a long time. I said, you know, when he's with the Nets, when he's with the Celtics, I'm telling you, you know, he was he was always talking to the media, telling them stuff. I said, you're, you're making a mistake. Boy, did he find out that was true. And uh, so, whatever. I, it's amazing to me that, you know, over the years, you know, I've tight with a lot of coaches or players who become coaches, players who become GMs, coaches who become GMs. So many times they'll ask for my advice, and I can't think of maybe two times that they took it. <laughs> they always go the other way. <laughs> there is one question that I've always wanted to ask you to go to go way back, though. Peter, you I know, obviously, your time with Dr. J, well-documented, and, and your time um, being part of those Rucker League teams and coaching and playing alongside – but one thing that I read recently when I was researching for this for this interview was that you had put up Earl Manigault in your apartment one summer when he was hiding from drug dealers. So and for people who don't know, Manigault, one of the most famous playground legends of, of all time. Um, so I'm just curious. Take me back to that time. What, what was that experience like? Well, Earl and Earl and I had gotten uh, got to know each other because I. You know, I had a team in the Rucker, and uh, I helped get him a, a tryout with the Utah franchise of the ABA. And uh, so, we, you know, we just became friends, period. But he, he did not make the Utah team. The owner, Bill Daniels, wanted to keep him out there, really liked him, you know, would have would have taken care of him, you know, got him a job, whatever. He didn't want to stay, came back. So off of those you know, those things we, we, I did for him and stuff, we got to be friends. And then, so there was, I'm not sure if before he went to Utah or after, I can't remember, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. The drug dealers, he owed money to drug dealers and they were after him. And, and uh, I was, I was going through a, a divorce. I had a, uh, an apartment by myself and um, I told him he could stay downtown with me. It was on uh, 20th Street and uh, Avenue C down in the uh, Peter Cooper Stuyvesant Town area in New York. And uh, so he he came and uh, he stayed. I, I, I don't think it was more than a week. I don't think so. It could have been two weeks, but they were still after him. 
So he's from Charleston, South Carolina, and I gave him money for a train, and uh, he took the train and went back and lived lived in South Carolina for a while. And then, and then, I don't know what made him come back, but I have some great stories with Earl. And um, man, I, I really, I mean, I the little guys I met up there was tremendous, tremendous friends, you know, forever friends. It's funny, I I live I live a hundred miles outside of New York. And um, I was in a uh, a little restaurant last night. I was getting something yesterday. I was getting something. And there's a lady next to me, a black lady, and she's got a Harlem hat on. And I said to him, oh, you know, Harlem, I said, I used to play and coach in the rocker. I, I said, did you ever hear of the rocker? And she goes, yeah, I heard of the rocker. She said, uh, my husband was involved in the rocker. I said, really? And... Uh, yeah, he's out in the car. I said, what? <laughs> what? I said, so I went outside. I mean, yeah, I've known this guy since 1971. And uh, I'd seen him recently at an event in New York where we honored somebody. And there he is, 100 miles outside of New York, two <laughs> rucker guys, you know, <laughs> hugging hugging and kissing each other. And <laughs> <laughs> ah, a great moment, you know? Yeah. Great. <laughs> what, would, what, what would a... Speaking of reunions, what what would a reunion dinner be like with you and the New York media from when you guys were all covering the league? I don't think anybody'd show up. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? I wasn't look. I wasn't friendly with the New York media. I, I, not at all. I couldn't be. I couldn't be. You guys on my own staff. I I, I didn't trust them for. Within, with information or f- because they withheld information. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't want to be friends with the media. I hung out with the players and stuff. That's who I wanted to hang out with and, you know, with, with agents and scouts and stuff like that. So the media, you know, I, I have a suggestion. I, I, I laugh, but this is a good place to say it since I don't know how much longer this is going to go, but you know, you started with Barkley. So, so TNT, has had these these uh, get-togethers over the last year, and I've watched none of them because they're all bullshit. But you know, Magic and Isaiah, you know, you know, I've heard about it. You know, kissing and crying on the set, and you know, I love you. I don't, you know, whatever. And then Bird and McHale, and uh, who who was who was another one? They did uh, Shaq and Kobe. Shaq and Kobe, all full of shit. Every one of them, you know. So I say, have TNT put me and Barkley on. You you won't hear any bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's us talk about things. <laughs> That's what I propose. He doesn't have the balls. Do, do do you think you said before that you'd rather you would rather have been spending time instead of with other media members, but rather spending time with players and scouts and executives. Do you think the other members of the media resented that? Of course. Of course. How could they not? I mean, look, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for uh, the Rucker and if it wasn't for the ABA, you know, I would have been another nobody. And, and uh, because of those relationships, you know, forged on my time, you know, during, took, gave up my summers to do that or my, you know, basically gave up my first marriage to do it. 
and uh, I, I, uh, I I own awful lot to those guys. So, you know, and, that, and that's passed on. So how how can they not be jealous of you know me? You know, breaking first of all broke the story when Julius Irving was sold to the Sixers. That was the front front page of the Daily News. I wasn't even in the department at the time. I'd been kicked out of the department by Dick Young, but I still got the story. And they they I was working in Queens covering high schools, and and they had to put the story in. They weren't gonna. What were they gonna say? Uh, no, you're not in the department. You know, you can't you can't. Uh, write the story as it turns out they wouldn't let me write the story they they had this guy dave hershey write the story but it's front page of the daily news big story so now julius irving you know now i'm in philly a lot um you know, he became my my best man at my second wedding and um so he's he's bringing me around everywhere how can the people not how can the media not be upset with that or resent that or be jealous of that. Yeah. I, of course, of course it, it helped my career, but, and, it, and, it, and other players would see it. Like I remember, look, I wrote this in the book. Like, you know, the first time I met Jordan, I said to him, you know, I'm Peter Vesey. And he's, I know who you are. He says, you're a docs guy. <laughs> that was, that was rookie year. That was during, during uh, exhibition season. You're a docs guy. But Doc, Doc would not tell me stuff. Let me let me put that right out there right now. He never would confide in me about what was going on ever, and I would never ask him. So I was shocked at some things that came out about his life. Shocked. I did not know, you know, about his child out of wedlock, you know, sleeping with the, the New York Times stringer, um, who was hanging out down in down in uh, Philly a lot. Jeez. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't know. So kind of interesting, you know, but he put me in a position where so many players trusted me and would uh, confide in me and tell me stuff. And, uh, you know, Peter, we're incredibly grateful for your time. We'll just close on some quick hitters here. I, I reached out before before the podcast to uh, PJ Carlissimo, who I've become friends with, and and asked him if he had any stories about you. And he said no, but please, <laughs> he goes, but please tell him I I said hi, please. And and it just made me think that you guys must have at some point, you know, made amends and that kind of thing. I'm curious which player in basketball or or coach do you wish that you had made amends with. I'm not going to let me let me let me answer part one first or go to part one first. So it it's funny that PJ would say he doesn't have any stories about me. Um, and it's, it's you know, you're very observant about, yeah, something had to happen between us two, because, you know, again, that was one of the biggest stories I ever broke. Maybe the biggest story I ever broke was the was the strangulation, you know, in, in practice, Spreewell. And nobody had that. I had that for two days before anybody else had anything. They had to use all my stuff. And my, one of my lines was is that uh, um, Spreewell, who had given me a hard time um, when I was out with the Warriors at one point, you know, acted like an asshole. So 
I had collected stuff on him someday, who knows, you know, and I had some stuff ready when this fight, when this thing happened. But, um, and, and PJ, who, you know, I knew abused players verbally and, you know, just was, you know, disrespectful, rude and crude. And um, my line was, is that, you know, in, in that confrontation, I said it was like rooting for Iran against Iraq. <laughs> you were hoping both would lose. <laughs> so uh, um, how do we get together again? So I got to be friends with Sprewell, endorsed him coming to the Knicks. Got to be friends. I mean, got to be trusted, you know, because he, he, he couldn't intimidate me. And, and, uh, and I ended up liking him. But um, PJ was out of work. And, uh, you know, again, this is a revelation. Nobody knows. And uh, so I'm surprised he wouldn't, he has never said it. I'm surprised he has never said it to anybody because he has said it to me. But I, I recommended him to NBC to hire him. You know, I thought he'd be a good hire to, you know, uh, either in the studio or do games or where we were looking for studio people at that point. We went through a lot of studio people and um, they hired him. And because they hired him, he wound up getting back in the league as a coach. I think after that, I think Popovich might have hired him as an assistant. And look, he's still going. You know, I'm out of the league seven years. Nobody's offered me anything. But uh, PJ's never recommended me either. But, but, you know, he did thank me for that. He knew what I had done for him. And um, NBC relied on me a lot in those days. I say I never got... They ne people never listened to me, but I, I didn't include NBC. NBC hired a lot of people on my say-so. And uh, one of them was Walton. And uh, another, one, another one was Mike Breen. But, but um, um, anyway, that, that's it. So is there anybody I wish that I had made amends with? That's the question. I, I'm not offhand. Not offhand. Do you do you want a job as being part of the league in some capacity? Yeah, I, I went after a few jobs, a few jobs, and you know, it's not even worth getting into. But but um, you know, highly recommended by bosses of networks, and um, and nothing happened. And I, I really, I, I mean, I could say it, I don't care how immodest it sounds. I could have really made ESPN shows better, and um, either and I said either from being on the air or being in the studio and and helping with uh, what was going on, what should be going on, what didn't go on, you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, because mm -hmm. there's there's really so little sense of history, and um, and so many things that are wrong. Oh man, I looked some stuff the other day. It was so wrong. Nobody was nobody corrected. It was like, where was it? On TNT. Oh, TNT. The guy, the guy was talking about the host, whoever he is. He's talking about uh, the pearl. They were talking about Syracuse's pearl, right? Mm -hmm. And he and he kept talking about Earl Monroe. Oh yeah, <laughs> pearl. Uh Okay, uh, black Jesus, black Jesus, you know, uh, wait a minute. Nobody in that studio would say to him, hold on. Well, you got the, you're mixed up. 
Earl okay, Monroe, no big Pearl deal. Washington. Oh, no, no, no big deal. First, I mean, that's another one of my gripes. How were they ever able to give Earl's nickname to another guy? It's, it's, it's preposterous. You know what goes on. You know, let, let's oh, let's see. The guy hasn't been around for a while. Let's let's just give give that nickname to somebody else. What a joke. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I would have liked to have. I'm I'm shocked I don't have a radio show. Show shocked. You know, the, the the stories I could tell, but or or the guests I could get, and um, it, it's it's amazing. And that that to me is is what is what's happening today. It's like. Has there been one story, including the great woes, has there been one story broken on the air that people did not want broken? You know, like I used to do all the time. He doesn't do those stories. He only breaks the stories that people want out there. Okay, those are his sources giving him stuff. We want this. There hasn't been one story on any network since I left. Not one. Well, Not to one. that end, to that end, I know you've said that you you've uh, wished before that you you taught a class on this. So, yeah. what what would be the first lesson on breaking a story? Do your homework. Do your homework. Make sure your your homework is correct, and then Bob Ferry, who I worked with that first year at NBC, says to me. Uh, Every time we speak, you know, he's, he's, I think he's senile. So every time we speak, he'll say, you know, I always tell people, he say, I have so much respect for you because we had the story and you said, no, let me make one more call. Make sure it's true. So this was the ex, you know, former general manager of the Bullets, you know, and uh, played in the NBA. And, you know, I, I, I loved getting his respect. But that, that to me is, is, is how you do it. And, um, you know, again, I, I would love, I would love to teach um, you know, a, a journalism class at NYU about uh, ethics and how to how to handle situations. And and you know how I would teach it? I would teach them every every class. I would teach them something I did wrong. <laughs> That's the way I would teach it. In your in your book, that going to happen at some point. Will there be an OJ chapter? Uh, he's mentioned. He's in there. He is. Again, I wish I, I, no, I don't wish I could tell you because that would ruin it, but there's an absolute tremendous revelation about OJ and the chase. And, uh, you know, he was an NBC guy. So you could let your imagination run wild, but there, you know there, there was absolutely something going on there with NBC and him during that chase, and um, you know very few people know about it, but I know about it, and and uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> my uh, yeah, I'm not even gonna, okay, I got to be careful because that, that's such a good story that I don't really want to put it out there yet. Was the, the yeah. chase, the OJ chase, was orchestrated between OJ and NBC? It was something going on. Yeah. No, it wasn't orchestrated. There was something going on. Sorry. <laughs> In the book. In the book. I get it. In the book, it. I'll never write. 
for sure. This is the greatest book promotion of all time. Also, this podcast is is called Rejecting the Screen because we always ask the guests end of game situation, critical spot, any player you've ever coached, played with, been around in your life. Can't say Jordan. Who would you choose to reject the screen and go ISO for the bucket you need? Sam Worthen. <laughs> you don't even know who he is. ABA or Rucker. No, no, no. He was NBA Neither? a year or two. He was NBA a year or two, but he played for me in the Rucker. And uh, he played at Marquette. 6'6 six, six guard way before his time way before his time, before and one, he was and one. And uh, Isaiah Thomas told me that early, early on in his career, he told me that there were three people who, whose ball handling and rhythm he copied. And one, one was Oscar and uh, one was Maravich and the other was Worthen. Wow. About that. Worthen won me two titles at the Rucker by taking over the game at the last seconds and getting and getting a three-point play, going to the hoop. Oh, man. I love Sam Worthen. And, you know, just as long as we I mentioned it before, I wanted Mark to hire Sam Worthen as an assistant coach. You know what he's doing now for, the, for years? He's coaching the generals. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm wondering – Jackson to hire him. He gave him a phone call, you know, a perfunctory phone call. And, you know, it's like very disappointed, very. And, uh, and who does he hire instead? Who did he hire? He hired Scalabrini. Scalabrini. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we really, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. All right. You're welcome. Good interview. You guys did your homework. That's for sure. That's a very high compliment coming from you. Thank you, you get, so much. You, you get an A in my class. <laughs> <laughs> Take, it easy. Take it easy. So that's Peter Vesey. That is who you expect him to be. If you don't know him, well, now you get a, a pretty good idea. And again, with Peter, I appreciate the, the compliments for the two of us doing our homework. In his answers, he takes him so many different places. And, and, and again, we have so many topics that we want to get to. But when he leads it in a certain direction, then there are certain places where you want to just keep following up and, and following it up. And it kind of goes to his sideline reporter conversation where just ask the question and make sure you're actually listening instead of just talking all the time. Agree with everything you just said. And it was interesting. There was a point in the conversation and and actually probably before the conversation even started, where there were some ideas, thoughts, research that I had done, questions I was thinking about asking. And I'm like, man, that's tough to ask that question. That that must have been a difficult period or this or that. And then I realized he has asked the toughest questions of everyone else. So in a way, it's kind of funny to uh, turn the tables, and now he's asked some of the, the real difficult questions about his career and his life. But he's right. The book, I do think the book would be best served as just stories. All right, so now you've got seven chapters of Jordan. You've got four chapters of Bird, story after story after story. And just like you know, the great American sports writing, 
that compilation that comes out every year. Okay, well, just story after story after story. Go ahead, do it. Doesn't have to be chronological. Doesn't have to have flow to it. It's just all of these stories. The interesting part about the book and whether this thing ever gets written or not, it's fascinating to me that he still holds the great nuggets, the great stuff that he found, that he excavated. He holds that close to the vest because that's who he is. And he looks at it all as competition. Even what we would reveal on this podcast, he's using as I can't give it here because I'm going to use it myself is that's that's who he is. And look, I've known Peter for a long time, but I don't I don't know him as a member of the media working against him, working with him. I was never a newspaper reporter. I was never a reporter trying to get the same story or even working together with him on a story. And I know that there are a lot of reporters out there who have worked in New York that, as he said, when I asked him about the reunion dinner, he said, well, I don't think anybody would show up. There are a lot of people who don't like Peter. I don't know Peter in that setting. So I've always liked talking to the guy. I've always, I've always enjoyed it, but I don't know him like so many others do. Yeah. And I've, I've just, you look back on his career and I say he did, he entertained, he broke stories and he asked really tough questions. And you know what? It's really hard to find people that, that have accomplished those things. And so I have great respect for his career and it was a lot of fun talking to him. That's for sure. And he said he wants another job and we'll close with this. And and I know Bob Ryan has great respect for Peter as a, as a reporter. I don't Mm -hmm. know what their personal relationship is like. Why don't the two of them do some sort of show together? Oh, it'd be gold. It'd be gold. I mean, that, that's something that you'd, you'd have to tune into to hear stories from the past. And then Peter could, have the platform that breaks stories now. All right, to make sure you go back and rate and review the podcast and then share it with friends because I know you've learned something. If you're still listening at this point, I know you've learned something. So just share a nugget with a friend and say, hey, got to listen and then click those five stars and leave a review and you can subscribe, download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko, it's rejecting the screen every Thursday, going ISO, the long form edition. Then on Tuesdays, you'll get about 25, 30 minutes of us talking hoops and a little bit of life here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Adam, enjoy Thanksgiving, pal. You as well.